Okay, I made an audible. I called an audible this morning. <laughs> I'm going to do part two. Okay. And then part one. <clears throat> okay. And the question is, I, I was having so much fun on part one, uh, <laughs> preparing that. Um, and then I got to the part two that you covered, Roger, and uh, versus, you know. Right. 14 through 20. And there's so much information there. There is. <laughs> it, he doesn't, he doesn't let off the gas at the end of his letter. No, not at all. And he just ends abruptly, right, James? Right. You're right. He doesn't say, okay, say hi to this guy, say hi to this guy. <laughs> no. So <clears throat> I was just, I was like, oh, wow, I've got a, I've got a, so I, <laughs> you called it I, I'm get to, I might get, yeah, I might get to part one because it's more of that stuff that I was doing and you'll see, you'll see why. Okay. Great. Yeah. It's just a huge chapter to, uh, it is. It is. It's, it's really, it's great, but wow. Okay. So, uh, we'll start with, uh, James 5, 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no is to be no so that you may not fall under judgment is any one of you suffering among you suffering then he must pray is anyone uh, cheerful he is to sing praises Um, so when he says above all and Roy brought this out in his lesson it's truly important Uh, this is an above all thing addressed to the brothers uh, to not swear, uh, put yourself, he says, stop the practice of putting yourselves under oath. Um, and we do that today, don't we, to, um, we swear by things or uh, a lot of, um, <clears throat> in the world, a lot, you hear a lot of people say, I swear to God, I, yeah, right. so ambiguous <laughs> uh, these days. So, so that's, we aren't to do that. That's a, that's a good thing not to do. Um, so Royce says to do not speak under the authority of the things God has made. You know, these things are holy and you don't want to put yourself under those, the authority of those things. Speak simply. Your yes is to be yes and your no is to be no without any modifying qualifications. Um, he brought this out so that you might not fall under judgment. Um, Roy said that so that you might not be shown to be a hypocrite um, is the literal translation. I like that. So if you if you say and doesn't that make more sense if if you if your yes isn't a true yes or your no isn't a true simple no. You're really being a hypocrite, right? Right. And I, I like that. And so he says that that's the literal translation of that part. So we go on. Is any of you suffering? Um, and that's the theme, the main thing, theme of uh, the book of James. And I would say the main theme is patiently, uh, enduring patiently under trials and tribulations. Um Patient long-suffering is the aim if we are to live under the law of liberty, abiding in Christ as we ought. Um, but the, here at the end of the epistle, um, James addresses a, a struggling believer, someone who's really struggling with sin. Uh, as Miles uh, points out in his lesson, one who is without strength. Um, he brought that out in his lesson, and he tied us that to uh, uh, verse 8 in chapter 5. Right. So if any of you, uh, if any of the brethren is, is suffering, then he must pray is a uh, an imperative command. There's no other option. As Miles said once again, um, not for the trial to end, right? We don't want to, we can't pray for God to take away the trial, but to, uh, for wisdom in patiently enduring the trial. 
as James 1.5 states. And if you lack wisdom in a trial, you are commanded to pray for it. And when we ask for wisdom, God doesn't hold that against us or he doesn't chide us for for asking for wisdom. He he knows, he understands our weaknesses. But Andrew, I thought we could take anything to the Lord. And we, yeah, and we can, right? Right, so that includes letting this trial be removed, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he, well, and he may, he may, he may not. Um, you know, all things. I don't disagree with that, no, for sure. All things work together for good, you know? So he might have a purpose, he has purposes in these trials. Um, yeah, I wish he'd remove this cold I have. Um, sing praises is another imperative command Um, if you are in good courage in the midst of a tough trial uh, then praise God um, is the thought here Um, and and that's interesting that that's an imperative command to sing praises Um, and cheerfulness that's of, of good courage um, is is the Greek in that? Um, so we go on to fourteen now. Is any among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church, and they must pray over him. Uh, they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins they will be forgiven him. Uh, what verses 14 and 15 are not is a promise of physical healing by the anointing of the elders. And uh, Miles brought that out in his lesson really well. It is not Roman uh, Roman Catholic last rites at death, uh, at the final unction by a priest with consecrated oil. Um, but I can see how the Roman Catholic Church gets gets that uh, doctrine out of that. You can kind of see how where they where they get it from these these two verses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just it's, it doesn't say that. The view is um, the view here is not for death, but recovery from sick recovery is and. Not final death, you know, like the Roman Catholic Church says. Um, this, these two verses are a positive imperative to pray, um, a command to pray in the midst of the, the trials and when one is sick. Um, anointing with oil in the early church, and I thought that when we looked at this, we came to the conclusion that it's just a matter of uh, early church hygiene. It was a regular hype habit of people in those days um, to anoint, uh, as Matthew 6.17 says, anoint your head and wash your face. Um, and, you know, be of good hygiene. It's a hygiene thing. And it was a, a way to kind of... Uh, uh, like uh, when someone was sick and you anointed them with oil, it was soothing. Yeah, it was for comfort, the, right? You're, you're comforting yeah, that. Comfort, comfort and uh, and uh, <laughs> it was securing the person, you know, with a balm. We we do that today with there's people who have essential oils, um, you know, uh, peppermint oil, eucalyptus oil, things like that, and that's. Uh, good soothing stuff. So it's just a practice of the early church and has no um, ceremonial value uh, whatsoever. Um, being sick, this word um, asthenao is, does not rule out physical affliction, uh, physical sickness, but I think we came to the conclusion as well that it can be soul sickness, soul suffering, spiritual suffering. How about mental affliction um, here in uh, verse 14? Um, Paul uses the same word, the, the same Greek word, astronao, 
to be without strength. Um, so that not necessarily physically, but without um, mental and spiritual strength. Um, and Miles made this point really well. Um, he links aphthenao, um, this word for sick, uh, to James's uh, strength in your hearts in, in verse 8 of chapter 5. Um, so a believer who is stricken with a weakness and enduring um, some ongoing trial, um, there's a, he is to, you can encourage him or uh, lift him up is, is I think what he was bringing out in his lesson. And that's certainly within the context. Um, but then I was, um, this next point, it, does it rule out physical uh, sickness and um, and and things like that? Um, what about taking this to mean that the sins committed by this believer led God to discipline him with physical ailments or even physical death, as we'll get to in verse 20? Um, what do you guys think? Um, in... in in relation to 1 Corinthians 11, 29, and 30, right, where you're not to um, take the Lord's Supper. Um, 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 in an unworthy manner, um, Paul says, examine yourselves. For this reason, many of among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. So I don't think it rules that out. Certainly, or Ananias and Sapphire, we looked at that, right? Right. Um, or Hebrews 12, um, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And Hebrews 12 has a element of, of physical, uh, you know, weakness or sickness. Um, and a historical note is that this is in the early church and um, the op- apostolic era um, where healing gifts were still present, right? Um, so it's a, it's a toughie there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, my answer isn't, um, isn't illness and or mental and or the earthly existence full of Full of sin, I mean, in other words, <laughs> this should not be a surprise, should it? I mean, uh, so no, it's, it's, and, and is, is if a first or third uh, class condition? It's a third class. Yeah, right. So, so how, how should we interpret that then? I mean, the idea here, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So that mm-hmm. doesn't mean every illness is a consequence of that, but it, that's, it's the earthly existence, is it not? I mean, yeah. So, and yeah. we're, you know, the believer is being saved to, through the illness is simply that second part of being saved, right? I was saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved, right? So I think you're being lifted up by the power of the Lord through the Holy Spirit working through these trials and tribulations, whether it be physical illness, mental, or some other distress that's part of your life. Right? I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think that's why this these passages are so... Because you go one way, but then you think of um, you think of other things. It's it's. I think that God he can use sickness um, to discipline certainly, but he can also use it if you're uh, as a um, as a uh, let's see as a blessing for for other people, so that you're able to comfort others who are sick with the same comfort that you receive. So he, I think he has multiple purposes in, in this, in physical sickness, certainly. Um, and then of course we are all, we're all not always strengthened spiritually or weak spiritually. And that's a given. Yeah. It's just a, it's, these verses are just pack a lot, don't they? Yeah, I think as Miles pointed out, you did too today. This may not be physical illness. <laughs> I mean, this 
could be, be right. Set aside right. It, right, in a very distressful condition and could be mental. Be. So, so soul weakness, you know, um, uh, and things like that. Okay, on to 16 here. Therefore, conf- confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Uh, then when he prayed again, the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Um, this 16, uh, verse 16, confessing your sins one to another, um, Merriman brought this out, but these are personal offenses, one brother or sister to another, um, and they should be faced, um, you know, addressed. He also says that it, in, I was listening to his message uh, yesterday, and he said in the critical Greek and the textus receptus, um, there's different words for sin. One says confess your sins, and the other says um confess the sin with a definite article. And I checked my interlinear and it mine has the definite article as well. Isn't that interesting? Confess yeah. the sin yeah. one to another. So I, I I think what it is is if you've um done something that offends your brother, um yeah I think of that that example that Mike gave where um our brother uh, uh um let's see he what was that um Tom Tom down in Houston he uh Mike did something to offend him and and Tom said this was years ago and he said you know I'm trying to forgive you and Mike said well what what did I do and so Tom eventually shared something that Mike did that offended him and Mike had no idea. And so he said, and so it's, it's that, it's that offending one to another that should be addressed here. Um, and, and that's why I think it says decent, you know, cause there's could be one specific issue, uh, one brother to the other. Um, James is addressing the whole assembly here um, when he says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, so Merriman says that right here, do you think physical healing is in view? Uh, I think that spiritual healing is in view here because not the whole body uh, not the whole assembly will be physically physically uh, sick, um, but they could certainly. But a whole assembly could have some spiritual weakness or spiritual sickness. So I thought that was an interesting point from um, from uh, Ron Merriman there. William Kelly uh, says that, but God hears prayers with fatherly pleasure and never fails to answer that which faith pours into his ears. It is faith, practical faith, which has been urged. Faith exercised in energetic power. I like that uh, that quote from him there. Um, effective prayer is, um, prayer is effective if you have in mind to be aligned with God's desires. Nearness to God is the key issue, or intimacy with God. Um, a righteous man who is conditionally near God is near his position in God. Um, this I I have these two notes here, these two bullet points from my I have them handwritten in my Bible um, from years ago, and I know I don't know who I can't credit as to who said it. Maybe it's Merriman or. Who, who knows? It could have been you, rather. It could have been my dad. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> <Tell> your dad. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff, though. Hindrances to good, to effective prayer. And I thought this was interesting. 
Um, one is unconfessed sin or not abiding in Christ. And then I have the scripture um, references there. There's many. And then secondly, not honoring your wife. And you think, wow, that's odd. But First Peter 3, 7 says exactly that. You know, your prayers, uh, honor your wife so that your prayers will not be hindered. Um, or asking amiss with wrong motives from James uh, chapter 4, verse 3, right? So the idea of this is um, prayer must be effectual and energetic here. And I, I think that's right. And he uses Elijah as that, um, as that example. Okay. We're, if you thought the previous verses were tough, James <laughs> uh, is tougher, right? Yep. Um, so in verse 19, he continues, My brethren, if any of among you uh, strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So, Roger, I thought that you said it well here in your lesson. There's a believer A who strays from the truth. Right. He wanders like a wandering star. He's seduced by other doctrines. And then believer <laughs> B turns him back, back to the word of truth um, that James has in, in James 1.18. Um, so that's the issue. That's sort of mapping it out here of what's happening. So he says, let him be knowing that he will save the sinning brother from death and cover a multitude of sins. Um, Constable says that uh, it, this death represents the, uh, the temporal destruction of, of the person, not his or her eternal, eternal damnation. And I think we know that it's no one's going to hell here. And we're addressing believers, so that rules that out. <laughs> but the destruction of what is is a question that I ask here. Um, is it is it the uh, the the spiritual relationship with God, um, or is it is it the physical body? Um, Constable says it's it could be the whole person. Wow, and that's why these these. These verses here are are are, are tough because you it, it raises more questions than really it, it answers. Um, Jimmy um, sent me a note yesterday, and he pointed out that he's of the mind that this is temporal spiritual loss mm -hmm. of fellowship with the Father. I'm falling, a believer falling from his position of grace. And then needing another brother to come alongside him, um, as a, is an, one who encourages him and lifts him up and lifts him up out of the mire of sin. Um, and I couldn't agree with him more. It's excellent. He, it was an excellent little statement of this. But then I thought, well, um, through, if you're looking at like you would Paul, um, that's an excellent statement, but this is James. You know what I mean? So I don't know if you can, if you can take these verses and then make everything Pauline, you know? Yeah. Well, that, well, that's, that's the challenge with James across the board. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we have so much of Pauline theology that we, we, you know, we try to read in Pauline theology in the James and I many times that's, that's the right way to do it, but also, you know, James had something to say too. <laughs> yeah, and when you do um, read it through a Paul, if you do make it Paul, and because and, that's how we think, it makes it totally, um, totally understandable because uh, um, you can take death to mean temporal spiritual death, and you know, it's and then it's easy, but it's. Um, this is early church. This is pre-Paul, basically. Um, Paul was just, I think, on his first missionary journey 
when this, um, when James wrote this letter. So the whole uh, position and condition, those doctrines weren't fleshed out by Paul yet. Um, so I say many uh, truth-seeking believers here fall different ways, right? Um, is it only physical death? Is that the only issue here? Or is it spiritual death, uh, temporal spiritual death, or, or both? Um, and then my conclusion is we can ask maybe James himself when we see him someday in glory. Yeah. You know. So Andrew, don't, don't forget how blunt John was. Yeah, right. He, he who sins is of the devil. Right? And if you're yeah. basically the paraphrase, if you sin, you're not a believer. I mean, basically, you got to put that all in context. I mean, in a sense, James and John they come from a similar black and white kind of perspective. So yeah, very, very practical, extremely practical. So yeah, um, let me see how uh, we have about. Uh, Fifteen minutes, minutes or so. Yeah. Okay. So should I should I backtrack and do this part one then? That I don't know if I'll get through. Sure. Okay. I have a question. Uh, What is temporal spiritual death? Well, when you when you sin, um, when you sin, you lose you lose fellowship, right, with the Father, right, and. Um, so you, you are separated from fellowship with the Father, and that's sort of a, 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 a spiritual, a temporal spiritual death. Um, it is temporary. It's temporary because you yeah. go back. Yeah. Confess your sins. Yeah. yeah, in fact, James addresses that just exactly, right? In James, um, to the, um, the, um, the stair step. Right. You know, when you sin, you take the bait, and then, uh, and sin becomes death, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mean, uh, um, you know. Damnation. It doesn't mean damnation. Damnation. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that when Bob presented that, he used the word uh, abortion, right? Because it was, uh, you give birth to sin, and uh, sin leads to death. And medically, that's an, an abortion. So that's what I mean by temporal spiritual death. Um, I don't know if that's the best word, um, but yeah, that's that's what I mean. Because we can't die spiritually. No, no. There's no way. Uh, but de- death, uh, meaning separation. separation. Yeah, okay. We're separated spiritually for a while in fellowship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we we restore that relationship with God by confession of sin, right? Right. Yeah. So, okay, here here we go. Here's the the part one that I'll do second, um, one through eleven. And you have I won't read the whole thing, but there you have one through eleven. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm a I'm going to take out all the modifying illustrations. Um, so James addresses these rich who unjustly withhold wages um, and are litigatious against our, our Jewish believers here. So I, I, I called all the language to make it read shorter, and here's what I uh, came up with. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. And then he addresses our, his, his flock, his scattered uh, Jewish believers. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Strengthen your hearts. And there's that word, uh, strengthen, asthenao, uh, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge standing right at the door. It's his door, but it's plural. Um, so I say I, I take out all the modifications and just give the kind of the boiled down version there in 1 through 11. Um, note that the last days, um, it has a 
Day of Judgment theme. Um, and he brings this up subtly at the beginning of chapter 5. Um, the, the coming of the Lord is uh, uh, parousia, uh, um, and is his p- appearance, and then his physical abiding presence on the earth. Um, so everyone agrees we're looking at sort of end times things here, right? The coming of the Lord, uh, the day of slaughter, this last days. Everyone amen to that? Yes. Okay, great. Um, but there's some new information that I didn't give in the lesson in early September was I thought that was interesting. Acts 11, uh, 27 through 30, um, you remember this, um, the situation where the, the, Paul was taking up collections for the poor people in, in the church of Jerusalem. Um, he says, now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood and, and began to indicate by the spirit that there would be certainly a great famine, um, all over the world. And this place took place in the reign of Claudius. And in proportion to that, um, if any of the disciples had means, each of them were determined to send a contribution for the release, uh, relief of the living brethren, of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge with Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, the elders. So Paul spent his whole mis- uh, ministry um, kind of taking up this collection for the poor um, believers in, in Judea. And um, there was a famine in, in, in Judea at that time. So James's flock, um, the per- people who he's, he's addressing here, um, fled this family, famine and were living, um, you know, they dispersed. Um, and they were suffering persecution on top of that. Um, as I say again, Paul spent his whole mystery, uh, ministry doing this side project, collecting gifts for this, this, the churches, the church in Judea here, or really this Jerusalem church. Um, the Macedonians and Achaean churches were, um, very instrumental in, in, and gracious in raising funds for the, the, the poor believers in Jerusalem. Um, and this gives us some context, context of why these, these saints that James is addressing packed up and moved, right? Um, they were very poor, hungry, and now they had to work for unscrupulous foreigners. Um, so he says, wait patiently, abide under this trial. Uh, have patient endurance um, under your physical and economic circumstances. Um, and it's the main theme of the epistle here. Um, this is one of the many trials that he addresses in the first part of James that we may encounter. You know, trials may be manifold, they may be diverse, um, but we are to count it as all joy. I think that that's the whole this kind of wraps up the whole theme of this letter. Um, and God has a complete Christ-like conformed believer, uh, one who's spiritually mature and perfected in view at the end of the trial, as he says in uh, verse uh, chapter 1 of verse 4. So how am I doing on time still? Okay, 10 minutes. Okay, <laughs> fine. Ten minutes. Here, here we go. So here's Matthew 24, 42 through 51. And I think I've, I've, it's, I've condensed it. So it's not the whole part, but it's, it's a, certainly a part of Matthew 24. Christ says, therefore be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Um, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time the thief in the night was coming, he would have been on alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. 
For this reason, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at any hour, parousia, um, and an hour that you do not think he will. And he goes, he ends it, and he says, the master of the slave will come on a day which he does not expect him, at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I asked the question, why are we going into Matthew 24? Well, look at this uh, in James 5.1. Come now, you, re- you rich, weep and howl, for your miseries are coming upon you. Um, and James continues in, in 2 through 6, here of James chapter 5. Um your riches have become rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Um, and, and I'll skip down to the um, later here. It is in the last days that you've stored up your treasure. Behold, you pay the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Um, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Isn't it interesting how this is all in one chapter? All this variety? It's, 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 hey, Andrew? Yeah. Question for you, though. Um, is Matthew 24, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, are those referring to the rapture or the day of the Lord? Um, the... the it's referring to the day of the Lord. But yet, James is writing to the church, right? Right. So yeah. how do we reconcile those two areas of Scripture? Well, but the the day of the Lord, it kicks off with the rapture, right? So we'll be raptured. Not according to McGee, the day of the Lord is the beginning of the tribulation in the Old Testament prophecies. Hmm. Okay, but, but there's the there's a rapture right before that, right? For sure. For yeah, no, I mean, yeah, we don't yeah. Have yeah. So I, I mean, I I think of it that that the day of the Lord is the tribulation period, and then the millennial yeah. kingdom. Right. Um. But what right before that, there's the the rapture, right. um, which kicks it off. So that's kind of what I I mean. Um. It seems in relating these two sections of scripture, it would imply the rapture, wouldn't it? I mean, because James is writing to the church, right? Well, he's saying, yeah, and James is saying, you know, be patient because the day of the, but it, you're going to be, and he doesn't go into the rapture. No, no. He does say that these rich men are going to be judged, right? At the, um, in the day of the Lord. Um, so, um, yeah, but but it is interesting how the the, the language is very similar. Is what you're, what you're yeah, saying. right to Matthew twenty four, and you'll see that even even better here. Um, look at what I have in, from uh, James five three b through six. <clears throat> um, I ask the question: What do these verses? Um, what are they similar to, or what are they actually? Um, what are they actually? And I have this. They're, they're counts, aren't they? Um, sort of legal counts. Count one, or an indictment, is what I want to say. The word indictment. Yeah. Count one, you have stored up your treasure. Count two, you, the pay of your laborers of your fields have been withheld. Count three, an indictment. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. Count four, you have fattened your hearts, fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So this is a, like a legal uh, indictment. Um, and keep in mind these, these Jewish believers are crying out to the Lord about the, their situation uh, and and he hears them. He hears their cries. So what will he do about this? 
Um, James 5, 9, the judge, he'll judge it. The judge is standing right at the door. Um, and what court, and here's, I'm getting to the crux of this argument. What court will this be um, held in? And I think it's this one um, from Matthew 25. And Christ says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them out one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and his goats on the left. And he goes on. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed one, uh, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked. You did not clothe me. Um, and when I was sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then those people who are being judged will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them and say, truly, I say unto you, the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will uh, they will go away into eternal punishment, um, but the righteous into eternal life. And that's uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 33, and then 41 through 46 there. Um, and I, I say again, uh, keep in mind that these Jewish believing uh, diaspora are in a foreign land. They're hungry, escaping famine. They are poor. Um, can we Can we add... Is it too much of uh, Ben to say, um, when I harvested your fields, you did not pay me? As it says in James chapter 5 here, um, this cry out to the Lord. You see what I'm saying there? It's, it's sort of a similar thing, that crying out to the Lord. Um, and then the situation in, in James chapter 5. It's sort of um, the same, very much the same thing. So we have this <clears throat> judgment of the living from First Peter 4 or 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That living judgment is this sheeps and goats judgment of Matthew 25, right? Um And one more thing here, um, from Matthew 24 again, he gives this parable of the fig tree, and he says, when the, its branches ready are, have become ready and tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all things, recognize that he is near, right? He is right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation shall not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angel, the son, uh, the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. For the coming of the son of man, it will be just like the days of Noah. So does one of these phrases jump out to you here? So, so do you think he's warning these Jewish believers about the judgment? That's coming to unbelievers. Is that or the, or the unrighteous? Or I should say the unrighteous man. Is that what he's about? Yeah, the, the, the rich one, the rich who is held the the wages. Right. Um, I think he's warning them of this impending judgment. But what jumps out to to me here is this James five nine. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Right. Um, and it's, and then Matthew 24 recognize that he is near. He's right at the door. And it's, it's, they're both plural right. doors, right? Okay. Um, um, and 
in Roy's lesson, he had quoted Weiss, and um, the judge has staked, taken his stand before the doors. Um, but Andrew, a lot of what you've said here really reflects the great white throne judgment, doesn't it? The well, I'm about eternal judgment. Yeah, I'm I'm linking it up to this judgment of the living. Well, the, for James, for sure, but the Matthew passage really, I think, looks at the great white throne. The, uh, yeah. Um, well, we actually passed with Satan eternally and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the great, and the great white throne judgment is the judgment of the dead, right? So, um, anyway, um, I have here a picture of a, a courtroom, right? Like Perry Mason. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, yeah, his courtroom. Um, notice there's a judge's seat and it's like a bima, right? It's a judgment seat and elevated. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bima means. Um, and then you, he steps up there. But notice what's on the left and the right of this, this, um, this Bima in this courtroom. And there's, there's doors, isn't it? And I was thinking, wow, I wonder if, because we have courtrooms or I looked at a lot of them and they always have the, the doors behind the judge that go into the judge's chambers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we took that from Roman. The Romans did that. And of course we took all their architecture. You know, you go to Washington DC and it's all Roman architecture. So I think that was how the Romans did it in the first century as well. These, these doors behind the judge. But anyway, I just wanted to, um, say that here, here's the, I'm linking it up to this Nations of the living nations. Um, okay. Um, because uh, so, so the nations would be these unrighteous um, yeah, right? And they would be the they would be the goats, and they would say, "Boy, you know when when did I treat you so badly?" You know, they're talking to the Lord Jesus, and he says, "Whenever you treated one of mine, right, you also treated me," and I think that can relate to this the situation where these poor Jewish believers were withheld pay by the um as laborers for these rich you know wanton uh, people that he's addressing in the beginning of uh chapter 5 here but i just think that this yeah okay it's you know, good <laughs> the door the door is to the you know this judgment because it's only seven years away, right? It's right at the door. It's it's very near judgment. Um, interesting. So yeah, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I, it, 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 because I was studying, I I just I was sort of um, I was looking into um, the tribulation stuff, and I just made this connection. And it's pretty okay. interesting. Okay. But there you go. One of the things that uh, I don't know. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that you just said absolutely fits. Um, they were suffering greatly as believers and had to disperse. And in that dispersion, they took jobs where they could find them, and those that were mistreating them. Uh, he was warning them as a leader of the church that the unbelievers, he was warning that they're going to stand before the judgment and, and ask, you know, when did we do this? And they're going to be told when you didn't treat those who are part of my family correctly. You cheated yeah. them. You sinned against them. And that's James' whole point in this letter, isn't it? That count it all joy when you fall under these kinds of testings, um, because it's Christ who is suffering. When did you did it? When you withheld from any that are a part of my family is what he's going to say to the unbelievers. Um, I think you hit it spot on. Okay. 
Oh, well, that's that's good to hear because I, I didn't know if I was going off on a total, uh, off the rails totally there. But it, it does seem to make sense. Um, and it does have a, it does have a Matthew 24, 25 sort of, it, there's a, some intersectionality, I think, there with how he starts out chapter five. So and remember that James, this was very early in the church growth and even admits that many of Paul's writings are hard to understand, he said. And those who take them wrong, twist them to their own benefit. In other words, you could do whatever you want because God's going to forgive you. No, that's impossible. And James believed that. But this warning that you covered at the end, being parallel to the Matthew passages, the judge stands at the door. He doesn't stand at the door for believers. He stands at the door for unbelievers. Uh, the Bema yeah. Seat and the Great White Throne are two different thrones, okay? Yeah. One is for rewards and one is for judgment of sin. Ready to judge, yeah. Oh, great. Well, thanks, Roy. Um, you said it a lot better, too, than I could say it. Yeah. Well, Andrew, we better better close now, though. Yeah, let's the musicians are anxious. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I got through it. Anyway. Amen, that's great. Yeah, okay. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, uh, for your word and this richness here. And it's, uh, we thank you that you're you're going to come again and, and receive us unto yourself um, in the rapture. And we think that's very soon, um, judging by how the world is going. And we just pray that um, you'll, you'll come quickly. And we just uh, thank you for all our blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.